I'm Will. And I'm Luke. And this is Will and Luke Discuss. A vodcast. And podcast. Where we discuss content related to psychology, personal growth, self-development, and well-being. This This episode, we're we're discussing The Antidote, Happiness for People Who Can't Stand Positive Thinking by Oliver Berkman. Another Oliver Berkman book there. How you doing, mate? Yeah. Yeah, good. Good, thanks. Uh, in, uh, In the new place. In in Melbourne, in the new Will and Luke Discuss headquarters office, <laughs> Melbourne <laughs> Melbourne location, yeah. Um, oh, now feeling good, kind of in like a new space. Feels really intentional. Um, feels really uh, targeted to what I want to do. Kind of got my nice. dual screens set up. Um, <laughs> got like my bookshelf. I oh, know. I guess like think about some of the the books we've read and setting up environments to do deep work and uh, mm. to spend time doing the things that are most <clears throat> meaningful to me. Um, your snowball mics in view as well, which is nice. It's nice, isn't it? it let's people know I'm <laughs> taking it seriously. <laughs> but no, it's, it's nice. Um, it's, it's nice just to sort of um, have an environment that's conducive to mm. um, doing kind of deep work and a, a deep discussion. I feel like comfortable and prepared and um, settled in this environment. So if that answers how I'm doing. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. I guess uh Kind of looking at your whole mic setup and your because of your work and stuff, you've got to be pretty um pretty slick with your your setup and there's no no room for in, interruptions or anything like that. So very intentional, isn't it? You gotta do something with a sound technology degree, haven't you? At least buy a microphone. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I uh I was um thinking just before we start, just just to briefly before we kind of outline what this book yeah. is about, just kind of why I sort of felt like doing another Oliver Berkman book. And I feel okay. I I left his last book feeling, I feel very relaxed after reading his his content. So I feel equally sort of like, what's the word to describe it? Not to take life too seriously, but also yeah. able to prioritise what I feel is most valuable in my life. And I, I feel the exact same way after reading this book. I think he, <laughs> nice. he's just got a real, he's just got a really nice way of um, d- describing the content, communicating his ideas. It's a nice, comfortable, easy read with quite a lot of depth to it as well. And it's really well researched. And mm. before we were starting, we were saying, you know, kind of interesting listening and reading um, books by journalists as opposed to kind of scientists or philosophers and that sort of thing. So it's uh, certainly makes for a um, a very readable read and I got a lot from it and I, I really enjoy his content. I highly recommend people go and yeah. check out his stuff. Yeah. Well, it's, it's what you're saying there sounds like you're coming out, not just with information, but with an experience and like you feel differently mm. from reading yeah. and yeah, definitely noticing the difference between journalists and academics and how they write and <laughs> how fun and easy <laughs> yeah. it is to consume. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that the academics works are, uh, more complicated in terms of the content, but certainly harder to pass through sometimes in general. Not to uh, not to stereotype all academics and all journalists. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. So, what's so, this um, book about? <laughs> yeah, let's get stuck into it. Yeah. So, um, I guess um, the main gist of it, you know, could be in the title, you know, happiness for people who can't stand positive thinking, is that he's outlining that our uh, common ways of um trying to become happy through the method of positive thinking, optimism, do not work for us. And we are better off trying an alternative way, which is a more negative approach to happiness. And he 
he starts off the book by um, describing his experience at a, a get motivated seminar where there was just this absolute barrage and uh, avalanche of positivity crushing down on him. And he just didn't really get it and didn't really enjoy it and kind of uh, felt the need to explore further into why this sort of positivity doesn't work. Mm. Um, and the and the subsequent chapters go through other ways which have slightly more negative approaches to to happiness. I think um, yeah. maybe just a way just to tie off this introduction from my end is um, just to kind of quote a couple sentences um, from the first chapter. So he says, the effort to try and feel happy is often precisely the thing that makes us miserable and yeah. that it is our constant efforts to eliminate the negative. So insecurity, uncertainty, failure, or sadness that is what causes us to feel so insecure, anxious, uncertain, and unhappy. He says that happiness often arises through negativity. So don't block out negative thinking or chase positive feelings. Mm. That yeah, kind of he, summarizes his initial concepts there. Yeah. I like how much Alan Watts he quotes throughout this book. <laughs> yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, nice one. So um, Alan, Alan, Oliver Burtman, he wrote this um, column, right, in one of those main newspapers i forget which on like self-help and life hacks and so he sort of surveyed the whole self-help literature and i mm. from the intro i get that he's saying that there's a whole field in the self-help field which is like as you point out really focused on pumping yourself up being positive at all costs not letting like failure be an option um uh, you know, an approach to self-esteem as like positive affirmations in the mirror. This, this is a whole sort of section of self-help, which is focused on that, which mm -hmm. um, I think we can all relate to. I think sort of the Tony Robbins stuff stands out as a, a perhaps a cliche of that whole, of that whole section. <clears throat> and his point, I suppose, throughout the book is that there can actually be negatives to that uh, perspective on like not allowing negativity into your life on having to feel positive at all costs on like, mm. uh, even on goal setting and positive visualizations and yeah. this sort of stuff. And yeah, like you say, the rest of the, the chapters are on alternative ways of, uh, of being, I suppose. Mm. I definitely it, the um, book grew on me as it moved because initially he set up this thing like self the house self-help fields like this <clears throat> and then he it, it made it sound like what he had was this special answer to this positive thinking uh mm. attitude but when he go you know but then the next chapters on stoicism and then buddhism and meditation and then like transcending the self and I, I suppose I was thinking, well, this is all very popular as well. It, it's not like this is secret in the self-help world. Mm, like, yeah. um, and then I reminded myself that this book was written 10 years ago. So maybe this stuff's caught on a bit more since then. Yes, yes. It's almost kind of like each chapter has its own its own book in itself. And I'm sure mm. we, we've actually probably covered quite a lot of yeah. um, some, some of the ideas through different people. But it's really nice to kind of have it all tied together. And um, these also... Um, and literally to quote the title, it is an antidote. It's got me really thinking about kind of, you know, having done what 30 odd podcasts with you, like we've kind of been going through sometimes without this in mind that we are potentially those people who are kind of charging through the self-help literature, looking yeah. for ways to kind of 
refine ourselves and looking for ways to kind of improve and set goals and targets and achieve and it's it's a useful read to kind of um slow us down i guess in that pursuit so we don't kind of do another 50 podcasts without considering that there might be an alternative way well it's noticing uh where <laughs> the strategies you use to either feel more productive or more i don't know happier actually have you feeling worse mm, noticing mm, that's when, that, when yeah. that happens yeah and what, what are what are some of the ways that stood out to you that in that it makes us f- feel worse well i think the it's it's about well for me it's about where these motivations are coming from and so he you know there's a whole chapter wasn't there about the ego and stuff but like if if you feel you're not good enough <laughs> in some way and therefore you need to be more productive or whatever then like yes you can pick up great strategies on time management and um productivity and goal setting but like ultimately if the fuel for that is is coming from a place of i don't know attachment to ego or low self-worth mm. then like that's never going to be resolved or, or mm. if it is, it's only going to be in small doses, like putting plasters on things. So um, mm. it's about sort of digging beneath, or why do I care about, I don't know, making this project, or why do I care about being more productive or mm. earning X amount of money or, or whatever we use these self-help books for and and like questioning the fuel <laughs> beneath that and... Yeah. Um, um, I think this book, yeah, aimed, aims to do just that. I think um, kind of to, to share my um, my learning, as, I guess, from this is that um, all the thing that stood out most is that attachment to things sort of being a certain way and how that can lead to over-planning and this sort of, uh. um, you know, this attachment to um, the idea that things in the future will be better if I plan towards them and if things are a certain way and then being so fixated on that, that when they don't go that way, then you feel this level of disappointment. Mm. And I guess to go further into that, what he says is, you know, he says, well, it's it's about non-attachment, like clinging on to things or pushing things away. And he says pain Mm. comes from holding on too tightly or when we lose them, we become unhappy. He says, Mm. you know, we should be able to feel life without becoming stuck in what should be. He says, learn to stop trying to fix things, change or control things turn negative into happy thoughts stop running away relax into the groundlessness of the situation mm. which i th- that, that that certainly stood out to me and i think it's um it's important that because i think what what often we are trying to do when we're you know putting goals in place or we're trying to put in certain systems is that we're kind of trying to um assure ourselves for a certain kind of future mm, you know right, we're trying right. to make sure that in the future things are going to be somewhere and to a degree yeah. we are we are creating you know a better chance of that you know whether it's um through exercise you know like oh i'm less likely to become unwell through yeah certain illnesses but also to a, another side of it is that life is unpredictable and life doesn't go a certain way and there's a lot more happiness to be found in the uncertainty of things and the uh, insecurity of things which is one of his chapters yeah yeah, I the it's not even a chapter. The epilogue, so the last bit of the book, he calls mm. negative capability, mm. and that was uh, that stood out to me because that was one of the way back when when we read uh, "Search for the Secure Base," that book yeah. on attachment theory. Um, 
negative capability was one of the sort of markers of secure attachment. Mm. And I didn't, I don't think I completely understand what it meant when I read that book, <laughs> but read it, reading this, it's, mm. uh, it was much clearer. He's talking about when things are uncertain or you don't know an answer or you have, I don't know, things are uncomfortable because you don't know things aren't in place and things are unstable. Mm -hmm. It's like learning to, or, or being sort of all right with that, not being so um, anxious that things have to go a certain way or that mm. things must be resolved, that you can sort of swim and sit in the discomfort of, of things not being resolved or not knowing the answer right now. Um, mm. Yeah, so I, I enjoyed that. Um, it yes, it's great. It's a great book. I know it's great. We're kind of going straight to the last chapter, but it's uh, certainly I like the um. But he talks about you know not kind of uh, constantly trying to find solutions or spending all this time seeking closure. But it's right. more about you know kind of embracing imperfection. And he says you know sort of yeah. um. He says a willingness to adopt an oblique stance to one's inner life, to stand back, to face what others flee. And uh, understand that shortcuts to positive moods aren't going to produce profound happiness. So I think what he's often saying that a lot of these positive self-talk and these affirmations and all these ways of sort of pumping ourselves up don't actually serve us for happiness in the long run. They can sort of give us a false sense of um, happiness or kind of, you know, brush over um, the situation we're going through, but actually they're not going to profoundly make us happy. And it, it shies away from reality. Mm. Um, of the situation if we're too optimistic and i think that's probably what he um he kind of identifies with particularly being you know kind of a british grumpy journalist you know, <laughs> just doesn't like this over optimism it's not, <laughs> yeah it's not uh it's not authentic it's not real it's not mm. based in reality it's something to kind of celebrate that things don't quite work out sometimes and there's opportunities that come from that he sort of joked about like if you're one of these pump up motion, motivational speakers and I keep having Tony Robbins in mind when he talks about these types because he's just like the archetype for it he, he was saying cool wouldn't it be really difficult to feel like you just could never show frustration <laughs> or like be in a bad mood or be cynical about something because like you'd just be called out on it and you feel like you'd have to maintain this persona mm. whereas uh, <laughs> with this approach it's like yeah if you're if you're pissed off, you can sort of own that and authentically be with it. And it doesn't, it doesn't go against your philosophy of life, <laughs> which feels a much more relaxed way to be. <laughs> I think he's saying that like that as your aim to always be positive and always pump up, like uh -huh. reduces your chance of it actually. <laughs> he talks about, you know, kind of like the, the law of reversed effort. And I think that's yeah. something I can probably identify with. And he does say this is something something that's hard to describe in words, but often we find in life that when we're kind of, you know, not kind of holding too tightly to certain outcomes and kind of going with the flow, you know, kind of going, he says, you know, kind of dancing, dancing through life without a particular outcome in mind. Yeah. You're sort of kind of like tussling with it and you, you're a bit of back and forth and you're, you know, contending and you are kind of, you know, making some work towards, you know, kind of valued areas of your life, but not with a set outcome in mind that you get so attached mm. to it. I think that's, that is when life appears to be a bit more in, enjoyable, I suppose. And I guess it gets you thinking about the times in life when the opportunities, the biggest opportunities that have come your way are often ones that you didn't plan for, you didn't put in right. place, you know, kind of like that 
job offer that came up. I know like I got into a grad program by just meeting someone in a bar who was a who worked on the same grad program I was three days before the applications closed, you know, (laughs) I didn't like plan for that. I didn't, you know, I guess that's one example of uh, thousands that happen. I think it's- That just shows that the secret works, mate. The secret works. Oh yeah, manifesting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's really critical of the secret, isn't he? Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. I I think, um, I don't know kind of what what your personal stance is. And I'm I'm presuming you're not really into this whole pump up, talk up stuff, but we have spoken about doing- incantations and there is a chapter about um positive visualization so i'm wondering um what your personal opinion is of overly pumped up techniques versus um some of the uh tony robbins daily incantations that you've previously practiced i don't know if you practice them anymore um daily intention setting how that yeah crossover oh interesting yeah um so yeah, I mean, I definitely when we, you know, I try and try and try every everything that we read about before we do a podcast on it. So yeah, I've definitely tried the. I remember with the Tony Robbins stuff, I, I lots of it I found really helpful. So I don't want to sort of come across as if it's all of course, bad. yeah. But like, he he has you kind of mark out areas of life to um, think about, you know, how each one's going and what goals you might want for each area. And I remember him suggesting to like really um, write the most sort of enthusiastic so rather than the the health you might write oh, like yeah. um you know athletic godlike body or you you like this warrior you'd have you use like adjectives <laughs> yeah. to make it you know as as motivating as possible and I, I found that they sort of i mean i went along with it and i found it just sort of tailed off quite quickly any sort of enthusiasm i had for it and i just was i forgot what they meant i just crossed them out and wrote health and finances yeah, 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 and yeah, i nice, actually nice. Yeah. sat into that and in the long run that just feels much it suits me better i, I don't know how much yeah. of an answer that is to your question um yeah that i mean some of the incantation stuff in his program it, it was fine like you're running along and you have someone in your ear going like every day and every way i'm getting better and better <laughs> and it, it sort of wakes you up i suppose like i um i do like you said i do still look at intentions that's less about that that's more about um I suppose values I aim to hmm. remind myself Reminders. of. Yeah. <clears throat> I yeah. sort of meditate on. Um, but I know I failed at them all the time, <laughs> which is probably why I, I wrote them mm. down as reminders. Um, mm. I don't know. I might be kidding myself, but in my head, they feel different than motivational pump ups. <clears throat> mm. I, th- I think that there probably is a distinction there, isn't there? That having something that's, um, yeah, values you want to live by and reminders in certain situations that come up throughout the day. It's like, oh, mm. I will, I endeavor to act this way given this stimulus. But uh, I guess that's very different from sort of some of the more cheesy pump up stuff that's kind of like, you know, what does Tony? I feel like we keep going back to Tony Robbins. So I, yeah, I guess the same as you. I want to acknowledge that I've really enjoyed a lot of his content. But yeah. there's somebody saying if you if you have the right emotion, you'll get the right outcome. I think that was one of his quotes, okay. something something like that, where it's if you can force yourself to feel a certain way, what you want will, will happen. Mm. And I, I think that's sort of kind of counter to what he's saying here, this negative approach to happiness, which is um, embrace the more, um, you know, ne- negative sides of life, you know, whether that's through um, 
you know, some of the more stoic strategies like the end of day meditation or confronting the worst case scenario mm-hmm. um, will actually motivate you more to do the things that you value. Kind of similar to the concept of 4,000 weeks where he's saying, you know, sort mm-hmm. of like in knowing that your, your life is finite, that should force you to spend it more wisely. Mm. There's, um, there's something, one thing, I guess, like linking to uh, death a bit. There's that chapter, um, yeah. chapter eight, you know, death as a way of life. Yeah. Um, memento Mori, but I actually never really got to understand what that meant. But um, I guess he's, uh, I, I thought this might be a chapter you'd, you'd enjoy. So I might just kind of tell you my main takeaway from that one and okay. see what you think. But um, I think he's talking about, you know, cultures that celebrate death a lot more. So it's obviously like, you know, the day of the dead. And then in, um, the Filipino culture as well and Mexican culture, like they, they don't repress death. And what he's saying is that they, by celebrating having death reminders. So whether that's kind of like a skull at your desk or that new poster I bought, that's the uh, <laughs> weeks of your life, like oh, yeah. having daily de- death reminders um, is a way. So we, we let death seep back into life and we can live life, life and death in companion. But the bit I like to is so, we live more meaningfully because we are reminded of death um, and that will give us less anxiety um, that at the end of life, we wouldn't have lived a life that we would regret. So by, mm. by keeping death in mind, we live life more fully. So therefore we become less scared of death because when it comes to the time <laughs> we're dying, we've lived more fully up until that point. Right, right, right. Does that make sense? Did you follow that? Yeah, so yeah. that if, so, if we were to remind yeah. ourselves of death <laughs> and yeah. therefore live, I don't know, more meaningfully, or at least with death in mind, then when death comes, we we won't regret as much, so we won't be as scared of losing life. And it says, there's a quote, death can only take the life of a dead man. So it doesn't take <laughs> your worry, it doesn't take right. your anxiety, like live life so fully that you, you know, it, death doesn't take along your anxieties, regrets, and worries. I mean, that's... Uh, to play devil's sure. advocate on this, I could imagine reading that and coming away with like, oh, crap, I really need to make the most of life before like, it's too late. <laughs> like, I better set so my I'm goals and set, and set my intentions and like pump myself up to make sure I like achieve and achieve and achieve because death's going to come soon and I, I need to get as much done as I, <laughs> I possibly yeah, can. Yeah. <clears throat> I think he's probably um, what this is kind of a warning to kind of the complete denial of it. Like we live as mm. if it doesn't exist. And he says, you know, we have a physical self and a symbolic one. Yeah. Um, but often we, we kind of forget that we are. Going to, I, I think this is something I've, I've kind of struggled to find my own definition of it. I mean, this is probably one of the biggest questions you could ever really be asking and talking about is death. But uh I guess just trying to find my own philosophy around it and kind of sort of understand like the level of uh, fear it carries for me. And am I acknowledging it enough in a day-to-day sense? Mm. Or um, am I teeing myself up for a life that when I'm 80, I'm going to look back and regret? (laughs) I mean, look, (laughs) those two sentences, I don't know quite what to do with them, but there we go. (laughs) Uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there is definitely something in there of, yeah, on the one hand, he's pointing out the, um, perhaps the, the, the most common attitude across a lot of cultures, particularly the British culture, I'd say, is this avoidance of death, this discomfort with death, this avoidance of people who are grieving or who are dying. Mm. Um, 
so on the one hand yeah it's if it's a fact of life which it is then mm. surely living in line with it living in line with truth is gonna uh, lead to a more fruitful existence mm. but i can certainly see the flip side that it it could be the thing that scares us into trying to be as productive as possible with the time we have left um which it obviously isn't what he's saying here but i'm just fantasizing how it how someone could read that yeah and what's what's the sweet spot like you mm. think about death death once a week or once a month. <laughs> you can't obviously think about it every day staring you in the face um, i'm not sure yeah it's kind of like at what point does that become frightening as opposed to motivating um mm. yeah i am um, i wonder what your thoughts were on the uh the chapter on on goals um, um i was gonna yeah move us to goals. i'm glad you did should you maybe maybe you make a start i feel like i've been uh, <clears throat> well i found it really interesting because yeah. i suppose with with some of his points i think i i i enjoyed them but had already considered them like going through chapters on for example chapter two was on stoicism like which um i enjoyed but was very familiar same with like meditation was the next chapter in buddhism which again i enjoy very mm. familiar but then yeah this, then the next chapter was on goals and goals is something we've obviously looked at a lot and we mm. we've like set goals and you know ensure that they're attainable or smart or that you know the next uh, as yeah. david allen would have you do like set up well what's the very next task i need to do to get to my goals and he paints a picture here that um sometimes goals can be counterproductive uh he tells the story of people climbing everest right um mm. and like yes they know they've crossed the limit at the time that they need to turn back um if it's going to be safe to have enough time to walk back to base mm. camp but they can see the top and they decide to plow on in poor conditions without enough time and it's mm -hmm. like just that and they a load of them died right and it's like just knowing that <laughs> that that desire to reach your goal it was sort of a a story that laid out well sometimes that can have very negative effects because we sacrifice things in the process we don't necessarily realize we'd be sacrificing mm. um and he talks about some people who who take the attitude of sort of taking the next step, but without knowing what the ultimate goal is, just using the means you have to do the next thing yeah. and being okay with not knowing what, where it's ultimately going. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. That was the, that was the, uh, the effectuism one, wasn't it? He talks right. About. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he's saying, um, as you say, ca ca causally minded people choose a goal and then selection, um, then select the resources and means to achieve mm -hmm. it. Whereas effectually minded people look what means they have and then choose the goals. Right. So yes. Like yeah. two, two mindsets here, outlines there, but I think it's, um, it, it's interesting to think that it, it, it can be quite formulaic to think like, okay, what's my goal. And then like, how do I achieve it instead of kind of going the other way around going like, Oh, look at my life. And here's, here's the things I've got. Here's mm. the skills I've got. Here's the opportunities mm. I have. Here's the, the gifts I've been um, blessed with, here's the resource I have access to, what would be a good use of time? And I think mm. that that's quite a useful um, 
or orientation, I think, especially when you've gone from sort of a very, um, not necessarily like mechanical, but it can often mm-hmm. feel a bit like a checklist being like, okay, here's my goal. Yeah. How do I achieve it? What do I need to do? What are the steps to get there? Yeah. Um, I guess I'm just wondering what, what way I, I think that's also a big part of like setting up, you know, kind of if you've got a comfortable environment or you've got the, the resource available to you, then like, then you're giving yourself a better chance of kind of, um, allowing things to emerge from that as opposed to trying to force things to happen. I can definitely relate to the idea that when you focus so much on your ends, um, you can not realize that you're not really enjoying your means of getting there mm-hmm. or you're, you're not, um, sort of checking how much value or pleasure you're getting from the journey. You're just trying to plow through to get to the end of something. <clears throat> Um, I remember someone talking about doing the three peaks challenge and, uh, where you're trying to like, I can't remember in how many hours, I think is it 24 hours. You're trying to climb these three mountains across Britain. Mm. It's like, mm. <laughs> you've got like drive between them and like put your foot down to get to the next one to climb the next one. And it's like, well, maybe that would feel good at the end of it to know you've done it, but I'd much rather climb them all across you know, a few, a few more days at least <laughs> taking the scenery, like have a good night's sleep, yeah. go to the pub afterwards. Yeah. Like, I think yeah. I would enjoy yeah. that a lot more. Um, yeah. and I, I wouldn't mind that I did it in a lot longer time than someone that could knock them all out in 24 hours. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I, um, I, I guess I wanted to extend this part of the, um, conversation to, uh, systems, you know, kind of, um, you know, daily routines, habits, yeah. Um, habit tracking, that sort of thing. I know I've sent you a couple of items of content from um, uh, the guy, Chris, who does the Modern Wisdom podcast. He has like a um, like a weekly newsletter and I normally shoot across a few ideas and something that's been quite key in some of his themes is around that there's a point in which you've done enough of like setting up your systems, setting up your routines, putting everything in place. And there's a point in which you just kind of need to just kind of get on with life and and do do the thing you need to do as opposed to constantly like monitoring um monitoring yourself and also i think this comes up in another chapter um around you know the buddhist guide to not think thinking positively so yeah. we can we can learn to do we can learn not to feel like doing something but doing it anyway so kind of how um action eats you know motivation <laughs> right every time and i think um i guess just trying to kind of tie that all in together is that i've i've been thinking a lot recently about how okay so i've got my morning routines i've kind of got the things throughout my day that are helpful to me and are conducive to me mm. waking up in the morning feeling healthy strong eating well um whether that's like you know making sure i'm not neglecting areas of my social life and friendships and relationship and that sort of thing but I think it can get to a point, and I've noticed in myself where that's become the task. It's taken over, and I've become oh. too fixated on um, that being my goal. As in, my goal is to do all my routines. Then I'll be good to do all this. Like, <laughs> right, right, right. Then I'll be able to do all this reading, and then I'll be able to kind of um, do this podcast and you know other areas yeah. of my life. But I'm actually finding that I'm not really doing those things as much as I'd like right. to. And I'm it becomes I'm, clearing I'm, the deck. <laughs> Yes, I'm curious whether I need, to, I need to go more into sort of a, a maintenance phase and um, pull it back. So, <clears throat> and I guess with that in mind, you know, kind of, do I need to sort of 
accept that my my routines and my um you know my second brain and capturing information yeah. is pretty is, is as good as it's going to be for now until I feel yeah. like doing something about it and just kind of just kind of crack on with the things that are meaningful and I guess allow things to emerge and allow some uncertainty and allow a bit a bit more flow. Um, oh. that's that's my uh, that's my last month's musings condensed into nice. a couple of minutes. Yeah, but, um, yeah, definitely relate. Yeah, to wondering that. what your thoughts are. Yeah, yeah, we're <laughs> like the getting through the to dos and the tasks you set up as things <laughs> that are maintenance become the main and sometimes only thing you get done, which then leaves out anything that's more meaningful or more fun or something else. Um, mm. I definitely can relate to that and have like <laughs> cleared out a lot of crap that I, I used to like try and make myself do every week because I just didn't want to anymore. <laughs> um, it's how do you find the kind of the challenge of not letting things slide, but still getting yeah. meaningful things done in a relaxed way that takes the pressure off you? I mean, that's probably the big question, a big one of the big will and loop discussion questions of the. <laughs> Over the last couple of years, and I think we're always trying to tackle that, aren't we? But how do you sort of yeah. relax but get the things done you want to get done at the same time? Yeah, because you can, you know, when like I don't know. I think it it kind of comes down to like that trust and listening to yourself. Like I know the times where, or, or at least sometimes I know the times where I kind of feel pretty tired. I don't really want to go and exercise after work but actually i have felt this way before and i do know that usually when i go and work out anyway i do feel better for it mm. versus a time when no i'm actually like exhausted or ill <laughs> and actually now i don't have to do it just to tick this off my to-do list like i i do better to look after myself and finding like yeah like the shade of gray between that and like knowing where to listen to yourself and when you're sort of kidding yourself versus when you're, um, mm. or, or, or I suppose the opposite, which is forcing yourself through things, through suffering for, just for the sake of like feeling a good enough person for ticking off your to-do list or your habits. It's, it's, uh, I don't know. It, I don't have an answer, but it's like an ongoing, um, felt sense. I, I think. I think, yeah, it's interesting you say that. It's something I've been reflecting on the past um, couple of weeks, like watching myself overwork. So I picked up yeah. a lot of extra shifts just to save a bit of extra money for um upcoming trip and moving house and that sort of thing. So I've been doing a lot of work and I've felt it in my body how that's affected me. And I've been still, whilst trying to do that, like white knuckle it with my habits. And what's yeah. happened is they've just kind of dropped off entirely because I'm not physically in the state to kind of yeah. get up to the gym early if I'm doing like a massive double shift or, you know, I'm not eating as well because I'm taking the shortcut option because I'm tired and things. I think it's really highlighted to me that like, I need to listen to my body, you know, listen to kind of my energy levels. And I think what you're saying is, is correct. Is like the more we have kind of a, um, an intuitive sense of that mm. and, uh, you know, the more we're in, we're in touch with that, we can actually listen to what our needs needs are in the moment and we can kind of relinquish goals or relinquish ideas that we have to do things because once we do them we'll feel better about ourselves sometimes mm. it simply is about you know doing nothing and not trying to fix anything um without coming up with these stories that you're being like lazy or you're being mm. not com 
passion, not doing what's best by you. You're actually being like, you can cultivate more compassion for yourself the more you understand your kind of moods and mm. what makes you tired and kind of the general flow of life. If you sort of, yeah, you're kind of able to have that, I guess. If you yeah, touch well, those, that part of yourself. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, the, the risk, I suppose, with these systems is if they've come from a place of like, of being good enough or something, then. Yeah yeah they become a measure of your self-worth right whether how much you stick to these uh i don't know routines habits goals that you set up for yourself which mm. it it's like that last chapter it becomes the what well, i need to clear the deck and tick off everything so i can sort of feel safe and secure again mm. i think this um this leads us really nicely on to um the chapter on the museum of failure <laughs> and I really, can i just I really jump like in before chapter. that yeah please do yeah, yeah something i found really funny in this chapter is because i don't know if you'd come across this before but he he quotes this yale study of goals which i have actually okay. read in a couple of places before right. where they talk about these students he says here in 1953 these students um they were all asked you, you know um whether who had written down goals for the future and who hadn't <clears throat> and then they decades later went and spoke to these people and the ones that, who had written down their goals back when they were doing their degrees they were more successful they were happier in marriage they were earning more mm. money mm. <laughs> and then so he went to um he, he called up yale and wanted to find more about the study and basically went down the rabbit hole and found that it never existed. Like there was, <laughs> there was no record that this study ever took place. Like, That's it, they, yeah. And that essentially someone had just made it up. Um, I just thought that was brilliant because I, I was. That's amazing. I, I've read this before, this study, and it, it really like <sighs> I found it really powerful. That God, yeah, people who just think about their future and decide what they want, they end up having these better lives. And essentially, someone just made it up. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I um the Museum of Failure, which I, yeah. I would absolutely love to go to. So he talks about this um uh this museum in Chicago, which is full of products that were um uh, released but then ended by certain companies. So they might have only been around for like a month or you know, kind of mm. half a year. Then there were says so things like, I don't know, like yogurt smelling shampoo or like coca-cola tried like a weird flavor that didn't lift off and stuff and i wish i kind of remembered more examples but i guess he's um, i remember a um yeah one one was uh gender-based nappies so so nappies that were sort of different shapes oh, yeah. for boys and girls and um uh, not only was it a bad idea that didn't take off because no one wanted to stock like two shelves worth of nappies but also the company that made them had also made them and it had failed in the past, but no one had kept record that it was an idea that they'd already oh, yeah. tried. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so good. <laughs> I, um, I, I think this kind of leads on to what we're talking about around goals and things and how yeah. kind of like sticking to your goals for too long, um, is kind of a negative thing or just like white knuckling them to the point where they become, um, not meaningful anymore you've just kind of you're burning yourself mm. out or it's just you're wasting your time and i think he in this one he's kind of saying that you know we avoid confronting failure you know we're mm. obviously better off embracing it and you know jumping ship when we um when we kind of feel like things aren't going too well and that was one thing he did say about goals is like 
often sometimes with goals will stop once they're achieved and won't kind of go any further. And he gave this, there's a really kind of complex reason why like in mm. New York, when it rains that like there's less taxis because taxi drivers have, they want to fulfill a certain like quota mm. per day. And because when it rains, more people take taxis, but then once they've done enough jobs, they'll just stop for the day. So there's less right. taxi drivers. So, so they, kind of gives they you all dump. hit their yeah. quota faster. So they all knock off sooner, which means when it's still raining, there are just fewer taxis around at exactly. the point where yeah, most yeah. More people want yeah. more taxis. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'd never really thought about that. It's just quite interesting. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if yeah. I've got any examples in my own life, but certainly it's sort of like you kind of set yourself an upper limit Right. And then like you don't go beyond it because you've kind of been like, oh, once I've done that, I'll stop. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but yeah. then I know we've read books where it's kind of saying set yourself an upper limit to stop at because you don't want to lose enthusiasm. So like yeah, kind of, you can do something can so much that you suffer through it and then it makes you not want to do it anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess um there's some kind of counteracting yeah. um arguments there. But I think um linking to kind of what we were saying earlier, you know, in that Museum of Failure, in that chapter, he says, you know, we too often make our goals pass for identities and then see failure as catastrophic. So it's like yeah. an attachment we have to success. Yeah. Um, and then further to that, he said, and this is a quote that I love, it's like perfectionism is a fear-driven strategy to avoid the experience of failure at all costs. Mm. And it's interesting, you, know, you, you talk a bit about that, this cast, that like, what's beneath this drive to kind of succeed or get yeah. things done or to finish these tasks. And it might be, a, it's like fear driven. That's like, oh, if yeah. I don't finish this, then I'm not worthy or I'm not yeah. a good enough person or I'm not meeting the expectations that myself or other people have set for yeah. me. What he's saying yeah. is that like celebrating failures and embracing failures and allowing yourself to fail and get things wrong is like, down to earth and it makes us human and it's more authentic and it's more yeah. real and it strips away the the inessential parts of life we don't kind of just carry on doing things that aren't important to us because the time might have passed we might have already failed them but we keep mm. doing it anyway um, small examples of this is like on the four-hour work week where he talks about if you're not enjoying a book <laughs> just put it down but yeah. um it can be, you know, we can get it in our head. We must finish things that we start, right? Yeah. But you learn along the way whether it it might not mean what it meant to you today, what it meant yesterday. Um, he talks about how we uh, gave various examples about how we can, we avoid the facts when it doesn't meet our expectations. So if we've set a goal or we have mm. an idea about how certain things should be, we'll often like keep going because we kind of just are looking for facts that agree with us or like ignoring mm. the facts or the reality of the situation that's telling us to like stop doing this and this is not a good idea and you mm. should mm. you should kind of jump jump ship now um interesting i liked i like this chapter a lot it kind of tied tied in a lot, lot of what he's saying in quite a, a practical way i suppose mm. in terms of goal setting anyway mm. he, um he talks about this idea, which I think, you know, we've probably heard a lot that actually the the road to, to success is, is, is just a bunch of failures, right? You try something, you stumble, like learning how to walk is, is a, a bunch of falling over. So learning how to ride a bike is, mm. you know, a bunch of falling off your bike before you can do it. But he yeah. goes beyond that and says that, well, yeah, but that, that's still a justification for success. And he mm. goes beyond that to, sometimes we just fail like 
we might not learn to ride that bike or you know or, or maybe some sort of bigger challenge we set ourselves and he talks about the the attitude of just embracing failure even if it's not on the path to some sort of success it's just That's a it, failure yeah, <laughs> and the, yeah I, I like that because i think it, we're often drilled that in with um you know kind of autobiographies of successful people who right. kind of like hammer into us that like the reason they are where they are now is because they 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 failed at something and then something good came mm. from it but also like they're not telling you the stories of stuff where they failed and just nothing came from it at all and it's, it's 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 a good one worth remembering like it's okay like there's so many failures we will have mm. any the example he runs with is the the millennium dome in london which was just oh, yeah. a massive financial failure and and not just financial but there was like an organizational failure as well and he was saying that once it had been completely acknowledged that it was now a failure and everything was just being sold off then people started being like open and honest and yeah talking about how they felt about the project along the way and talking about what went wrong. And there was sort of a mm. shit <laughs> as, as the place turned into this sort of jumble sale where people could just walk in and buy the stuff they were getting rid of. There was sort of this solemn togetherness of people yeah. like being authentic. Whereas before they'd committed to the failure, there's this inauthentic, like pushing on that. No, everything we're all smiling and everything's fine. Whereas under the surface, yeah. it's not that way. And so I, I, I liked that idea that embracing failure sort of, uh, yeah, it bring it sort of can bring people together in a more authentic way than than pretending it's not happening. Yeah, it was, it was a, a melancholy to life's impermanence, mm. <laughs> failures and things. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think that was kind of the more chatting with it. You now, it's probably one of my favorite chapters, actually. And he's kind of saying, you know, let ourselves fail. It's the path to authenticity. I think it's, um, I think it's a, it's a healthy thing to be able to kind of like laugh at your own failures or yeah. fuck ups and stuff. You know, like, there is something quite funny yeah. about it, and not not in a harsh and cynical way, but like yeah. trying to make this like monumental building in the center of London that's this big exhibition and it just going horribly wrong and like hemorrhaging money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just these like these wild short, you know, miss uh, what's called like misguided decisions or just like short sightedness. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like a story about how, like, I guess what I give these stories, I try and summarize them, but probably get the, the exact facts wrong. Right. But like there's, you know, France, were redoing all of their like rail stations across like a section of the, the country or something. And then they, they found out mm. after they'd spent like billions of dollars on it, that like the trains didn't fit the platforms. So there's like, oh, yeah. there like a two foot, that, that was in another book. We yeah, like I a remember two, that. Yeah. A two foot gap between every train and every platform. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's like totally, and because like someone just failed to check the measurements and stuff. <laughs> it's, it's I, I guess it's like the thing I'm reflecting on is like, now that sort of thing would be funny, but I'm wondering like, how can we build a bit more of a lightness to our own failures mm. in, in the moment, or maybe just not so, you know, we'd have to wait like a year to be like, oh yeah, that was funny. Cause there's stuff we like laugh about that at the time mm. was just harrow was like harrowing. It was just like <laughs> the worst thing that's ever happened. You know, it's awful, you know, but yeah, then it's sort of in hindsight, like, oh, that was a bit ridiculous. That's kind of yeah. funny. Yeah. I just want to shorten the gap between that and, the day to day, I suppose that's a that's a lofty goal, but uh, certainly worth bearing in mind that that's yeah. like 
it's the most reality-based thing to do is kind of acknowledge yeah. acknowledge it and just sort of try and find a way to not punish yourself for it, I suppose, or yeah. sort of feel yeah. bad about it. Yeah. Ultimately not taking things too seriously. Mm. Cool. Is there any is there anything else you kind of stood out to you or you wanted to speak about? That's most of my main interests, I'd say. The, the last one that stands out is the chapter in security. Yes. Uh, called the safety catch, the hidden benefits of insecurity. Yeah. I just really cool. enjoyed the um paradoxes in it that mm. that I think the message was some oftentimes in order to feel there's a there's a big difference between the reality of security and feeling secure. Mm, mm. There's loads of examples. One of them was um, some people feel more secure when they're in control. So we'll choose to drive overtaking a plane. Whereas mm. in reality and statistically, you're much safer in a plane than on the road in a yeah. car. Yeah. So we all often make decisions which are less safe to feel more secure. And then he mm. talked about like airport security and uh or, or or like um yeah like the 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 things that get prohibited from being taken on an airplane wasn't there there was like a pilot who wasn't allowed his tweezers or something and mm. he <laughs> uh he, he sort of it, got yeah. got told off for complaining about it but um i think he said <laughs> he, he like in frustration said to the security well like you're not letting me take on my tweezers, but I could just crash the bloody plane if I wanted to. He's <laughs> the pilot. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and was, yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed this sort of, um, I don't know, recognizing that it, when we might be doing things to feel better, which don't necessarily have, have any impact or could even make things worse. Yeah, and he talks, um, I'm glad you brought this up actually because it's um, kind of looking at my notes, there's a few things in here that I did really like, sort of how we, you know, we long for futures that we have no agency over. Right. So what he's suggesting is, you know, kind of we should adopt you know, negative thinking but positive acting as an antidote to this. So right. Kind of acknowledge that, like, we have no control over the future but kind of act positively in, in this moment as we are, mm. we are now rather than trying to kind of, control things in the future he's yeah he does say you know so the goal of security is false and the real happiness may be dependent on being willing to face and tolerate insecurity and vulnerability mm. he says being vulnerable is like being without armor being authentic being present if we feel our vulnerability we are able to experience the full range of our reactions to the world around us and i think um i had an example of this when i you know i did like a little bit of stand-up comedy like years oh, ago yeah. for a laugh and uh, i remember people being like, oh, you can have a drink before you go on stage. And I was like, no, no, I want to feel mm. like the full anxiety itself. <laughs> like I, I yeah. want to like be, um, you know, like able to, yeah, like experience that for what it is rather than yeah. like trying to, trying to feel secure by having a drink to feel less anxious and yeah. kind of get through it. I was like, no, no, I want to feel, feel it all. Um, yeah. There's a lot here yeah. I've written down, actually. So I don't know if you've got anything else to say. Otherwise, I'll just keep going. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's, so it's not just that sometimes um, acting to feel secure can be paradoxically negative, but it's actually that, yeah, you're pointing out there that vulnerability um, 
like feeling insecure about things sometimes is life like uh mm. he quotes Brené Brown talking about how you can't just selectively numb the emotions you don't like if you avoid a numb away emotion you kind of numb it all so if you want to feel the truest depths of love you kind of have to open yourself up to anxiety and shame and vulnerability there's no you can't really have one without the risk at least the risk of the other um, yeah and um something i've been thinking about recently is kind of like the you know the expectation effect how sometimes we we might build up things in the future as if to kind of try and experience them now so i guess like i'm about to go on like a two and a half week holiday and i'm cautious not to kind of pump it up too much in my mind because i think often that's what can um leave you to feel like let down as if you have this like perfect yeah. idea of like how things should be in the future and like mm. it's almost like by worrying about it or by celebrating it too much in your mind you can affect the actual experience of it at the time mm. um as a sense i guess kind of like linking to kind of like trying to feel secure that like oh the future is going to be great because mm. i've done all this 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 but at the same time like you know the flight could be delayed you know yeah I could break a leg on holiday. Like there's all these things and it's sort of like trying to not uh, build up things, this perfect idea in my head of how things should be and just sort of like going with the flow a bit more. Mm. Um, there's one quote here that I did highlight in orange, not just blue, which means it's serious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, I think it's probably the, the final bit on this that I liked is that, that change is the only constant as is impermanence. We seem to fight against it. Why do we try to fight it? We try to separate ourselves from the world via security, which makes us separate from life. We build an ego to protect ourselves. We try to make ourselves isolated and that leaves us lonely, <laughs> which is interesting. We build walls, which causes us to create mm. an enemy. So it's, well, uh, it really stood out to me in this, uh, and yeah. I've probably heard these things before, but it, about um, sort of, on on world measures of happiness there's like some of these the poorest african countries come out on top of as some of the world's mm. happiest people he, got, he went into a particular example going around this african slum where they got you know like running water or sewage systems and people living in sort of like tarpaulin huts and things mm. And yet, like, you know, it's not to dismiss the suffering that comes from that, but it's interesting that people in those conditions can be happier than, I suppose, the more built up Western countries that try to build up all this security and, and safety. And mm. um, it's kind of like once you're at the bottom, there's, <laughs> there's nowhere else to go. So you can feel more secure in life somehow, something like that. He's also saying, you know, comparison isn't the fairest assessment of your situation. It's sort of like it doesn't, comparing yourself to someone else's circumstances doesn't necessarily have an impact on how happy you can be in your own circumstances. Right. Um, it's sort of thinking that elsewhere is more secure or more happy or better than where you are in this current moment is probably a bit short sighted, I think. You know, it's kind of saying that we're, we're prone to thinking that, you know, being somewhere else or being in a, a better place or in a better um, relationship or in a, a better climate or a better financial situation, those things mm. will make us feel happy. Whereas the reality is that 
that's kind of us fantasizing about a sense of security that would mm. ever be guaranteed anyway like mm, yeah yeah <clears throat> there we go mate i reckon i reckon that's a that's a cast what do you reckon yeah call it good stuff cool. and when i say see you later i actually mean see you later i'm gonna be yeah. seeing you in two weeks time so it's a probably first time <laughs> let's not cling too much to the future who knows what could yeah happen. true true yeah well i i hope that outcome occurs but i wouldn't hold it too tightly <laughs> But um, yeah, I'll probably see you in a couple of weeks. That's the plan. So uh, there we go for anyone listening. It's quite a nice moment for us to be <laughs> meeting up in the future. <laughs> it's been three years since we've seen each other. So um, yeah, our, our goals of doing an in-person cast are hanging by a thread, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good ends. All right, mate. Chat to you soon. <laughs> Take care, mate. Nice one. Cheers, mate. See you. Bye. Bye.